is a Woodside Church podcast. Good morning, everyone. Uh, good to be uh, with all of you this morning to worship God. And um, I just want to tell, see, uh, my, my topic today is God with us, you know, God with us 24-7. And uh, there are two persons that I live with 24-7, okay? <laughs> One is my God, okay, whom I have known for the last 37 years. And the second person is my wife, Sunu, okay? And, um, you know, let me tell a little incident that happened recently. You know, I think about a month ago or something, I caught COVID again, okay? Mild infection, but I was coughing. And uh, so one day I was coughing so badly, and uh, Sunu said, you know, she was drinking a cup of hot coffee. And she said, why don't you drink this cup of coffee? Gulp it down, and the boiling coffee will reduce the sensitization in your throat and reduce your coughing. And I looked at her cup, it was steaming. And uh, I thought, wow, I should add this as one of the treatments for persistent cough. Hot, steaming coffee, okay? And... um, It's great to be with her. You know, I've been with her for 31 years, and she never stops amazing me, you know, and, um, you know, um, and coming up with all these, you know, wonderful philosophies and treatment protocols and everything that makes me think that I should add them to my my protocols, okay? So yesterday we were spending some time with Doeen and Karodi, and they said we should applaud her, you know, (laughs) for, for this. So... Not for this joke, but for being with me for 31 years. Okay. <laughs> Pardon? She didn't? She's a dentist by profession as well. Yeah, yeah. Good. Thank you. So, let's come to our preach today. And uh, we are coming to the end of our series, Lessons from the Wilderness. And my topic today is God with us. God with us 24-7. Okay. And let us look at the story so far. And, um, and one of the things, you know, sorry, I forgot to mention is, um, you know, a lot of the time, the reason I say these jokes is to try and get religion out of the way, okay? Because sometimes when we come into a hall like this, within these four walls, we become different. We become the lovey-dovey types, okay? But outside of these four walls, we become a totally different beast, okay? Now, Connie shared this morning that, you know, as much as you and me are real, as much as all that we see around us is real, God is real, okay? And the story that we are, you know, going to look at today is something real that happened approximately 1,500 years ago. Sorry, 1,500 years before Christ. So it'll be 3,500 years ago, okay? So it's very, very important, and Connie said, it's all about reality, okay? So this is real, okay? Our God is real. What we are talking about this morning is real. And uh, we are not to be carried by our emotions, but we are supposed to be driven by truth and reality, okay? And so let's get into the story. Uh, We know that uh, the Israelites were in bondage and slavery in the land of Egypt, for about 430 years, and um, 
Then, you know, God rescues them out of Egypt. He brings them out, okay? And uh, he opens the Red Sea for them, and they come through the Red Sea. He then brings them out into the desert where he provides for them. He gives them food. He gives them water. Approximately two million people, guys, two million people, approximately. It would be more than that. I'm saying it's a very conservative figure, two million people, their cattle, okay, in the desert, God fed them for 40 years, okay? And when he's, you know, retraces in the book of Deuteronomy, God said, you know, your feet did not swell and your clothes did not wear out, okay, for 40 years in the desert. <clears throat> and then, you know, um, you know, uh, lots of problems happen in their life, and God teaches them, God corrects them, and um, he rescues them, he protects them from, you know, other people who come to war against them, and then he gives them instructions about worship, you know, and he tells them how to make this tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, and everything, and then this is what he says in Exodus chapter 29, verses 45 and 46. There are so many verses that reiterate this, but let's just look at one verse then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. They will know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of Egypt so that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. All right? Then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. They will know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of Egypt so that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. So church, what is the significance of this? We need to try and understand this in human terms. Please imagine with me, the Israelites are like in a refugee camp, approximately two million people, okay, children running around, the animals, the sewage of the camp, the heat, the stench, and God is the one who says, if he's a God who, you know, is the one, he says, he's the one who created the entire universe, the beautiful earth, all the people, who says heaven is his abode, and he says there is no other God besides them. This God is saying that I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God, you know, and I'll be in their camp. And God is saying that I'm going to be with you through thick and thin. He's clearly showing his commitment to them. Why? He could have lived in his palace in heaven and communicated with the Israelites and kept watch over them. This is what we are used to. You know, we see refugee camps. You know, the people who help them, the people who direct their affairs, they're never in the camp. They're far away, in good places. But here, God is saying, I will be in the midst of the camp. Is this a new thing that God was doing? Or was this just a goody-goody statement? Or is this how he was all along and how he was going to be? And that's the thing that we have to look at. So first of all, Let's look at some of the biblical passages that speaks of God's dwelling with man, okay? And the first time we see God with man is in the book of Genesis chapter 3. And uh, God created Adam and Eve, and the, he placed them in the Garden of Eden. And we find that God was walking in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. God, you know, man at that time could see God, could speak to God, you know, and could communicate with God. And we find God in the garden, walking and spending time with Adam and Eve. And then we see throughout Genesis, you know, when sin came, you know, mankind 
could not see God anymore, okay? And, uh, but despite that, we see God interacting with Cain, Noah, and Abraham. And then, you know, we find that he made a promise to Abraham. We read that in Genesis chapter 17. This is what he tells Abraham. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And this is what he's making for the first time. He's calling a person called Abraham and he's saying, you know, I'm going to have a nation you know, out of you and your descendants and through you I'm going to bless the whole world, okay? And he's saying, I'm going to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And then in 1446 BC, about 1500 years before Christ, this is the time of the Exodus, God was present with his people in the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud. So when they are coming out through the Red Sea, God was with them in the pillar of fire and pillar of cloud. He was watching over them. And then we read this verse where he announces to the Israelites that I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God, and they will know that I'm the Lord their God who brought them out of Egypt so that I might dwell among them. I'm the Lord their God. And then we say that we see that again in Exodus chapter 40, so they make the tabernacle, okay, which is like a tent, and inside the tent is the Ark of the Covenant. And when everything was ready, the presence of God, the glory of God comes over the tabernacle and God takes his place in the Ark of the Covenant, okay? And uh, let's um, uh, read those verses from in, in Exodus chapter 40. <clears throat> Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because a cloud had settled upon it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the house of Israel during all their travels. And this tabernacle was in the middle of the camp, and around the tabernacle were the tents of the Levites, you know, so there are 12 tribes in Israel. So the Levite tribe was around the tabernacle and around the Levite tents were the tents of all the other tribes. That is how the camp was arranged. And, and then we fast forward to the time of Solomon, which was 960 years before Christ. And, uh, you know, uh, Solomon, you know, built a temple, you know, uh, for the Lord and this was dedicated, and we read all about it in 2 Chronicles. So in 2 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 13, what happens is the temple was built, the Holy of Holies was built, and the Ark of the Covenant was moved into the Holy of Holies. Then the temple of the Lord was filled with a cloud, and the priest could not perform the service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. So again, in Jerusalem, in the temple built by Solomon, God's presence was there in the Holy of Holies. And that is why it was called the Holy of Holies, the most holiest place, because of the presence of God. And then we move forward again, uh, about 400 years later, approximately 586 BC. And we read all about this in Ezekiel chapter 10. Because of Israel's persistent disobedience and idolatry, God says, I'm going to 
my presence is going to go away from here, okay? And we read this in Ezekiel chapter 10, God's glory departs from the temple because of the persistent disobedience of the Israelites. And this happened before the temple was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar, which happened in 586 BC. And so God said, I'm not going to be in your midst anymore because of your persistent disobedience. God's presence left, and then Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian, comes and ransacks the temple. And since then, you know, the Ark of the Covenant has not been found, okay? Now, we know that the temple was rebuilt about um, 70, 80 years later when the exiles returned back to Israel. And when Zerubbabel reconstructed the temple, and when Herod the Great in the first century renovated the temple and made it even grander, the glory of God never returned back to the temple in Jerusalem, okay? But we fast forward to the first century, and then we see Jesus appearing on the scene. And in John chapter 14, this is what Jesus says. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Now, Jesus is now 500 years later, after the presence of God departs from the temple, Jesus is saying, I'm going to do something different, okay? He's saying, if you love me, if you honor me, if you respond to me, then I and the Father will come and make our home with him, with you, okay? And then in the same chapter, he says, I and the Father will send the Holy Spirit to be with you. So basically, God is saying the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit will be represented in the lives of anyone who chooses to love God and to respond to God. And reiterating this, Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says this, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Okay? So basically, when we respond to God's invitation, you know, when we respond to him, when we say that we love him, we put our trust in him, God comes to live within us. God takes up his residence within us. And that is why our bodies will become a temple of the living God. Hallelujah. Okay? God says, I'm not going to live in a man-made building. Okay? In, 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 a, in a building made of wood or concrete or stones. I'm going to live in the lives of my people who love me and honor me. Hallelujah. And then, this is the present, guys. This is the present, okay? And let's look at the future. After the rapture, at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, when the new heaven and new earth is going to appear, and we read that in Revelation chapter 21, verse 3, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Hallelujah. The present is that God is in each one of us. God is amongst us. And the future is God is going to be with us, okay, and we are going to live with God forever and ever. Hallelujah. Now, church, I've taken you from Genesis to Revelation through the ages of the Bible. 
And it's clear to see that the plan of God and his desire has always been the, been the same. To be in the midst of his beloved people who love him and whom he created with his own hands in love. That has been his desire and his plan, to be with his people, not stay in, in, in a, a faraway place, to be with his people. And he wants to drive home this message, and that is why he has reiterated this message again and again and again. So if you're hearing this message, you need to understand, or we need to understand that we are not alone. We are not alone. The wisest person in the whole universe, the strongest person in the whole universe, the one who knows everything, the one who is everywhere, God, our King, He is with each one of us, okay? We are not helpless, okay? We are not helpless, you know? Our God is with us. He has not left us alone. He doesn't live far away. He's a God who is near. Our God is the same yesterday and today and forever. Hallelujah. You know, it amazes me sometimes when people say, Christians need to modernize, okay? You have to change with the times, people say. But the, we who honor this God and love this God and put our trust in God, he's saying, I'm the same yesterday, I'm the same today, and I'm the same forever. So how can we change? What do you mean, okay? There's no change, okay? It's all about reality. It's not mythical. It's not something that changes with time, okay? God says, I'm not a man, you know, that I will change, okay? Hallelujah. So, in the vast eternal mind of God, his plan was always to be with his people. Hallelujah. That is it. Hallelujah. Now, remember I told you so many times, whenever, if you are a good student, okay, whether you are a medical student or a Bible student or a student of any anything that you're doing in this world, we need to ask lots of questions, okay? If you don't ask questions, you will never learn. That is how you learn. You're asking questions of yourself and asking questions of others. So, the question that we need to ask here is, why? Why does he want, why does his God want to come and be with us so badly that he's saying this again and again? Why? For what good reason? Do you know of any person in this world who does that? The ruler of this land, does he say that I want to come and live in your house? No. Does he ever dream of doing that? Do they ever dream of doing that? No. But why does our God, who is the, the creator of this universe, who is so powerful, so wise, why does he say that I want to come and be with you? So to know this, we need to understand his nature. So his nature is one of community, okay? Now, in the community of God, there is God the Father, there is God the Son, and there is God the Holy Spirit. And in this community, there is perfect love, there is perfect honoring, and there is perfect understanding. And it is into this community that God created Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve and mankind were created to expand the fellowship of God so that we would have fellowship with God so that we would communicate with God, so that we would have a relationship with God. You see, Christian life is not a religion, 
It is all about a relationship with God. It's all about knowing this person and living with this person 24-7. Okay, it's reality. As Connie reminded us this morning, it's reality. Okay. Secondly, his nature is one of love. It is out of the depth of his love that he created mankind. And in love, he created man to be created in his image, okay, in his image, to have fellowship with him. Hallelujah. You see, um, when I was 18, I was in medical school, and I started studying the Bible, and along with medicine, okay, and um, I spent time, you know, one hour in the morning, one hour in the evening, studying the New Testament, the Old Testament. And sometimes people say, oh, they, they don't give much relevance to the Old Testament. But the Old Testament is beautiful. I mean, you can't understand the New Testament without the Old Testament. And I'm reading all these stories, and I'm thinking, wow, what a loving God, okay? You know, despite the faithlessness and persistent disobedience of the people. God is coming after the people again and again and again. Just as we heard this morning, God is so faithful. God is so faithful in little things. Hallelujah. He's interested in the smallest things in your life. And I did not come to God because of a certain need in my life. Okay? It doesn't mean that if, if, you, if you come to God because of need is wrong. No, no, no. People come to God for so many reasons, okay? But I fell in love with God because I have never seen a love like this. Such a love, you know? His love consumed me totally. And then one day I remember I came to him and said, God, even if I don't become a doctor, even if I don't achieve, I went to medicine not to serve, I'll tell you. I went to medicine to become a great professional, to great, become a, a great guy in the society, okay? Yeah, to make lots of money, okay? That's why I went into the medical profession, okay? And I said, God, even if I don't become a great guy, even if I don't make any money, even if I don't do well, I give up all these things and I want you in my life. I gave up everything to receive Christ into my life because his love consumed me totally. I've never seen a love like this. Hallelujah. And 37 years down the line, that love has grown and grown in intensity. And my understanding of him has flourished and blossomed and blesses me day in and day out. Thirdly, we were created to be dependent on God. Hallelujah. People don't like this word dependency. The modern thing is independency, okay? If you ask anyone, I want to be independent, okay? Do you know where this independency came from? It came from Satan, okay? In the Garden of Eden, in God, Genesis chapter 3. And you know what Satan told Adam and Eve? If you eat the fruit, you will be like God. You will not need God anymore. You will become independent. You will be a God. And that is what we are all. We are all little gods, okay? We decide, you know, everything in our life. But we were not created to be like that. We were created to be dependent, okay? When Jesus came on the scene, he said, I and the Father, we are one. I cannot do anything without him. Hallelujah. When Jesus, God the Son, says that I am dependent on the Father, okay? And when the Holy Spirit is dependent on both the Father and the Son, okay, how much more should we? Okay, we are created to be dependent on God. Without him, we are lost. Finally, 
We are corrupted by sin. We are damaged goods, okay? You know, we are damaged goods. And that is why we have all these problems in our life. Without him and his word, we don't have a plumb line. We don't have a standard. We are rudderless. We are helpless. We are unable to live the life he intended for us to live. And that is why he has to come into our lives. He has to be in the driving seat of our lives. That is why we call him our Lord, which means he is the boss of our life. That means we get out of the driving seat and allow him to be in the driving seat. Hallelujah. Okay? And when he's in the driving seat, he says, I will take you through the complexities of life. I will take you through the complexities of life. Only he knows that without him, we are lost. We think we are able. Okay? In the church, we sing, he is able, he is able and everything. But when we go out, we know we are able. Okay? But that is not how it is. Only God knows that without him, we can do no good thing. He said, Jesus says, without me, you can do no good thing. And that is why he needs to come into our life so badly. The next question is, my gosh, am I running out of time? I'm at risk of doing the Hudson, you know. <laughs> Hudson, how come I become your disciple? Sorry. <laughs> the next question is, how can God come into our life? How can we get him to dwell in us? There are so many verses, okay? That is not the topic of my preach today. But in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13 and 14 says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So what it is, is that when we hear the gospel, when we hear that God has come and died on the cross for our sins, which we sang about this morning, Okay, He has come and died on the cross. He has paid the price that you and me should have pray, paid on the cross. And when we hear this good news, this gospel, when we put our trust in him and we say, Jesus, come into my life, then he comes into our life. It's as simple as that. He doesn't say you have to do X, Y, Z. No, no, no. It's not about rule keeping. It's not all about knowing him and what he has done for him and putting our trust in him. It's a reversal of what happened in the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve put their faith in Satan, lost their trust in God, put their faith in Satan, and obeyed the words of Satan. Here, it's a 180-degree reversal. We are saying, I no longer put trust in myself. I no longer put trust in the principles of this world. I put my trust in God. And I receive him into my life. That's when he comes, you know. You ask and he comes. Hallelujah. You ask and he comes. The next one is, what happens when God comes into our life? So looking at it from this story, you know, we see that the Israelites, when God comes into their lives, they receive freedom. They were in slavery. They were in bondage. Okay. And God brings them out. And what happens to us? We read that in Romans chapter 6. You have been set free from Sin. You have been set free from death. Hallelujah. And John 8 says, If you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. In Galatians chapter 5, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Free from the clutches of sin, from the power of sin, from the power of death, from the power of failures. Okay? He has set us free. Hallelujah. 
Secondly, when God came into their lives, okay, they received protection, okay? The Egyptians, the Egypt was the strongest world power, was a, the strongest, you know, uh, um, um, kingdom in the world at that time. And God rescued them from the hand of the Egyptians. They did not need to create a sword, build, you know, um, uh, uh, they did not create to make swords and, and, and um, 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 weapons, okay? Sorry, and weapons, okay? They didn't have to fight. God fought for them. God rescued them, okay? And in Ephesians chapter 6, you know, we find, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. When we live as Christians, our enemy number one is Satan. He keeps shooting at us, okay? He keeps discrediting us. He keeps, you know, trying to, um, you know, um, uh, uh, make us feel, you know, weak, you know, and worthless, okay? And the only way we can stand against Satan is by taking up the shield of faith. When we have in him, when we put our trust in him, you know, that is how we, that is how we overcome, you know, Satan. That is how we defend. I... Let me not read, um, you know, there are quite a few verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 says, For my grace is sufficient for you, for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Hallelujah. Then number three, we have access to unimaginable power. Just imagine God coming and splitting the Red Sea. Okay? Splitting the Red Sea. Okay, the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud protecting them. We have this unimaginable power. In Ephesians 1, we see, know the incomparably great power for us who believe. Apostle Paul saying this, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart be opened, that you may know the incomparably great power that is available to you and to me. Hallelujah. He gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. We sang about this morning to perform healing miracles to cast out the evil one. He gives us all these things through his Holy Spirit. We receive provisions for our needs. In the wilderness, God gave them manna, God gave them water, you know, and all those things. And in this present day, in Galatians 5, we see God gives us the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Fruits of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Have I missed anything? I don't know. There are nine in total. And uh, then we become holy, the people of God, the children of God. Finally, we become recipients of his promise. We sang about this morning again. Yeah? We become recipients of his promise. We receive eternal life. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So these are the things that happen when God comes into our life. Now finally, very quickly, I need to go into application. How do we live the Christian life, okay? I'm in grave danger, Hudson. You have set a precedent, you know. Um, as a leader, I'm following the leader, okay? Number one, we find that Moses built a tent of meeting and he would go there to spend time with God. And anyone could go there to spend time with God. Do you know how many people went? Only Moses and Joshua. Only Moses and Joshua. Anybody could have gone, okay? But Joshua was, after Moses left, he was still in the tent of the meeting, okay? Now, 
it is very, very important when we live the Christian life, we spend time with God every day. Okay? We spend time having a relationship with Him, you know, getting to know Him, communicate with Him. You know, if you don't do that, then you know, we can't live a good, successful Christian life. Hallelujah, number one. Number two, the Israelites faced trials. You know, they did not have food. They did not have water. Okay? And when they have these problems, okay, or when some you know, enemy came to attack them, they were unhappy with God, and they murmured against God and his plans for them. They quickly forgot who was with them. They quickly forgot who brought them out. They didn't understand or they didn't try to understand who this God was. Despite God doing such powerful miracles, splitting the Red Sea, bringing them out, feeding them, at the, at the smallest sight of problem, you know, they started murmuring against God. Church, what happens to us when we face trials? The greatest trial that we face is a pandemic. You know, how did you respond, okay? Sickness, problems at work, problems with our finances. How do we respond? Apostle Peter, writing about this, says in 1 Peter chapter 1, 6-7, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Christ Jesus is revealed. And what Apostle Peter is saying is that these trials will come. Jesus said, in this world you'll have problems, okay? What are the reasons for trials? The trials have a purpose. It's just like doing a test or an exam, you know? When you pass the exam or the test, you know that you have attained a certain standard. So when we go through trials and when we put our trust in God, in Jesus, then what happens is that our faith is going to be proved to be genuine. It is a test of our faith. Hallelujah. And Apostle Peter says, gold is refined in the fire. You put it through fire, all the impurities burn. So even the gold, which is such a precious metal, is refined in fire, it perishes with time. Okay? Whereas our faith will not perish. It will be proved to be genuine. It will result in praise and glory and honor. And then, so what do we do when we face trials? You know, in verse 5, it says, who through faith are shielded by God's power. So when we face trials, we put our trust in God, we look to Him, and what happens? His power will start working in our lives. Hallelujah. And then in verse 4 it says, we have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Hallelujah. We won't be destroyed. Sometimes we think like the world, we'll be destroyed. No, we will not be destroyed. We are there to live with God forever and forever and ever. It's not the 60 years or 70 years or 80 years or 90 years on this earth. We are created for eternity. We are created to live with God forever. Hallelujah. Then, the Israelites wanted to practice what the people around them were doing. Idol worship have a king, all those things. And we heard Tim speaking about those things. They never tried to understand God's ways, his standards. They were looking at the nations around them and then looking at themselves. They were comparing themselves with others, wanting parity with the world. There is sometimes a feeling that if you do what others are doing, then somehow we must be okay. It's called strength in numbers. The majority is always right. But we are not to follow the majority like headless chickens. 
In, chapter, in Ephesians chapter 4, Apostle Paul is saying, we need to become mature, attaining to the full measure of the fullness of Christ. Hallelujah. You know, we are created in his image, and therefore our aim should be to look more and more like our God and not like the world. Therefore, our priorities, our values are to be in line with God's, and we've got to include God in our decision-making process. Hallelujah. So we don't want to look like the world. We don't want to look like our seniors. We don't want to look like people who we work with. We don't want to look like movie stars or any other celebrities. We want to look like our greatest celebrity, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? Because we were created in his image. Hallelujah. Don't forget that, church. Next one, the Israelites were gripped by fear. They were looking at others and the circumstances around them rather than the one who was with them. Sometimes you are worried about what others are thinking about us and not about who is with us. Sometimes we want to compromise and keep our faith secret so that we get the support of others. We forget why we gave our lives to him in the first instance. There is a story of Balaam and Balak in the Old Testament. And this king Balak called this priest called Balaam to put a curse on Israelites. And when Balaam came to curse them, this is what God put in his mouth. No misfortune is seen in Jacob. No misery observed in Israel. Their Lord, the Lord their God is with them. The shout of the king is among them. God brought them out of Egypt. They have the strength of a wild ox. There is no sorcery against Jacob. Sorcery is not going to work against Jacob. No divination against Israel. It will now be said of Jacob and of Israel, see what God has done. Hallelujah. You see, my friends, when God is in our life, nothing can touch you. No plan of man can overcome you. Hallelujah. And this is the promise. This is our inheritance. Hallelujah. Therefore, in our everyday life, there should not be a place for fear because perfect love casts out fear. Now, I just want to say a few things. Can I invite three of you? Maybe Dan and, you know, Lena and maybe Felix, if you can come. Just come here, come here, here. So God, this is God, okay? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They are a perfect community. Now can I have two more people, please? Two more people, just anyone, if you, both of you come. And then he, come here, come here, come here. He can hold hands, okay? He can hold hands. And then, that was Adam and Eve. God expanded his community, you know? God expanded his community, okay? To include Adam and Eve, okay? And then, we find, you know, I should have put me and Sunu here, but anyway, it doesn't matter. But that would have been better, yeah? And then, imagine you are, can we have Sunu, come here. You stay there. So this is me and Sunu, and we are, no, no, you come here, you stay here. So this is me and Sunu, we are in fellowship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, okay? Then we have children, so you are in fellowship. Come here, come here, okay? And then we are part of this family, the church, okay? Now, can we all hold hands, you know? If you can, just hold hands, you know? All of you hold hands, and if you can't hold anyone's hands, just put the hand on the shoulder, okay? 
Okay? Now, this is, this is the body of Christ. Now, I want you to read with me Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 to 22. Can we see that? Yeah, there you go. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Can you see that? Hallelujah. God lives within each one of us. But God lives within, wait, 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 within, God lives within each one of, within us. When we meet together, God is amongst us in a special way. We are being built together as a temple. Then we fast forward to Revelation chapter 21. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. This is the universal church that is going to be caught up with God. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. All right? Hallelujah. This is our inheritance, church. This is inheritance. God with us 24-7. Let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit God, we just thank you so much for revealing your plan to us. Lord, this mystery that was hidden to many, many years, Lord, you have revealed it to us through the Holy Spirit in this day and age. Lord, we just thank you for your, you have revealed your heart to us, Lord. Lord, you are such a good, good father. You have come to be with us. You're not a God who is far away. You're a God who is near. And Lord, you are, uh, you, you, you sing over us every day. Lord, you purify us with your love every day. And Lord, we are, we are standing on the foundation of God himself. Lord, no one can shake us, Lord. No one can overcome us. Us. No power on this earth can overcome us, Lord, because you are king. You are with us. And we give you glory. We give you praise. We give you thanks. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you. Amen. You have been listening to a Woodside Church podcast. For more information, visit woodsidechurch.com.